Glory be to God. Good to have everyone in the house of the Lord tonight. Good to see you. A couple of quick announcements that I want to make just so I don't forget. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to keep a little guy by the name of Tyler in prayer. Brother Fox contacted me and told me today is the manager at work. Her son, uh, Tyler, has cancer and it's not looking good. And so I started praying for him while I was at work today. And I would like for you to join with me. Keep him in your prayers, Tyler. Just ask God to touch his body and heal him and make him whole. Rid him of cancer and uh, save his soul. You know what I always tell you? Uh, when I pray for people many times for their healing, I pray and ask God to give them an opportunity to be saved. And if uh, their bodies are, are are failing them, I ask God to heal their bodies and make them whole, that they will have the opportunity to give their life to him. Uh, so pray for Tyler. Also pray for Sister Lisa, Sister Lisa Daniels. Her father passed away recently. Uh, the funeral is tomorrow. And so we want you to pray for her family and that God will touch them and strengthen them and lead them towards him. A lot of times when there's death in the family, instead of we get nice and close and love one another, there's always some conflict that arise. And uh, I don't know what that's all about, but pray for that family. And also um, next Thursday, you don't want to miss it. We have an evangelist coming from Jamaica. Um, she's going to minister to us. And so uh, we'll be Bible study night next Thursday, but it will be different. So we want you to come and enjoy Bible study night with us next Thursday. We have an evangelist all the way from Jamaica. Amen. The final thing I'm going to mention to you, um, when we went on our trip last week, uh, North American Youth Congress, one of the things that we um the the conference produced was this 31 day devotional book and so we have this 31 day devotional book um it's uh for the young people but i'm sure it will help some of us adults so what i'm going to do is i'm only going to start with the young people giving giving them away to the young people and then if i have leftovers then i'll uh include the grown-ups so um it's a 31 day <laughs> say again the young at heart <laughs> um, is a 31 day devotional where you get a chance to write. So you read and you write it's Bible verses and everything. So it's almost like your little diary, your little, that's the women, they, they have diary. So it's almost like your diary. And uh, for the guys, it's like a journal. You know, we can write and keep track of what God is saying to our heart, what we're learning out of the Bible. And so that's important. Amen. Anybody learning anything out of the Bible? Listen, you better show what you're learning in your actions. Don't say you're learning if there's no action behind it. Amen. Yeah. One was in there for you. You don't have to worry. I, you was, you was at the, on, on the list. You was in the list. I got you. I got you. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Second um, Samuel chapter 12 and also Psalms 51. Second Samuel's chapter 12 and also Psalms 51. Tonight we're going to conclude our series on the masquerade of sin. We're going to complete our series tonight on the masquerade of sin. And then moving forward uh, for the next couple of weeks, the next three weeks. Remember I mentioned to you, I don't have anything in the box over there. And we have an evangelist coming uh, next Thursday. I would love for her to speak on a topic that you all wanted to, but... If you don't give me a topic, I'll put a topic, I'll give her a topic for you. But I, I said, if you have questions about the Bible, if you have questions about scriptures that you're not familiar with, you're not sure about, and you want to know, write that question on a piece of paper and drop it on our, drop it in our suggestion box to my right and your left. And next week when we come to Bible study, we will talk, uh, talk about your question and, uh, we'll allow um, the scriptures to speak to us regarding the question we have. So if you have questions about the Bible, uh, questions about spiritual things, questions about God that you have always wanted to ask, please don't hesitate 
please ask. I will also um, put a plug in for Brother Henry. Um, I think that it's this week that is Sunday school class. Um, remember Sunday school on Sundays start at 930. But I think he starts talking about prayer this week, right? Oh, man, we need to pray so bad, Brother Henry. We don't realize um, what prayer does. And we need to come to Sunday school, 930, the adult class. We're going to be talking about prayer. But prayer is so important. Prayer is the thing that makes us prepared for what God wants to do. God wants to do many things in our lives, but he doesn't do it until we have saturated ourselves with prayer. See, prayer is what talks to. Let me not say that way. Prayer is the thing that proves you are ready to handle the next thing in your life. See, because here's how it works, because I've experienced it, so I can tell you. Here's how it works. You're praying and you're praying and you're praying. And when you're not seeing it happen, you pray even more. Because you know, I know God is real. I know what God can do. And if I'm not seeing it done when I'm praying, it means I go deeper in my prayer. It means I become more intensified in my prayer. But all that's doing something to me, though. And if you do the same, it will be doing something to you. And so as as you pray more and you intensify in your prayer, what what's happening is your heart is being prepared. Your, your, your soul is being prepared for the, for what God will turn over to you to handle. Because a lot of times we're praying for something from God and God is saying, I can't give it to you until you can handle it. Remember we say, I would not give my little kids $20 and, and, and say, here, here's your pocket money. Here's $20 because they, they would know the value of $20 or how to spend it. So I'm not going to give them $20. I'll give them $2. I'll give them $5. No more than five. I'm not going to put $20 in their hand. And in our relationship with God, we're asking God sometimes the things that God is saying, you're not ready for it. And so you're wondering why you didn't get the answer. Well, you're not ready for it. But if you keep praying as you pray about it, your spirit, your soul is being prepared for when God is ready to give it to you that you can handle it. And that's one of the things that prayer does that we don't really talk about a lot. There's a lot of things prayer do, but trust me, it prepares you for what God wants to do in your life. We're talking about the masquerade of sin. We'll pick up the scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1. Verse 1 says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herds to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was kindled greatly. I read that backwards. Against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that had done this thing shall surely die. Now David is the king. He is the one that judges and rules in the kingdom. And so Nathan told him a story and it sounded like somebody did wrong. And he says, that rich man, you know what? He has done a bad thing and he should die. Verse six, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Fourfold, that's a key word. You'll see later on what that fourfold thing meant. David said he must restore that man fourfold. And we'll see how that worked. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus said the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, David, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives' 
into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken thy wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Jump down to verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also had put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Psalms 51, verse 1 through 4. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is what David prayed. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto thy multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Thou, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. All right. So we're talking about the masquerade of sin. Today, our final lesson of the series will, will entitled, will be entitled Unmasking, the Unmasking of Sin. The Unmasking of Sin. Because God loves us, He brings conviction into our lives. And so it is, our job here, or God's job to unmask sin so we can recognize it. And so that's what we will talk about tonight. The unmasking of sin. Uh, we oftentimes project like we are doing well. There are people who seem to have it all together on the outside. But on the inside, there is turmoil, frustration, and disappointment. And anybody say amen to that? Amen. We walk around. We look like we're doing fine. We project like we're doing fine. We, we get around and we smile and we talk nice to one another. And we just kind of mingle like all is well. But deep down, all is not well. That's not God's intention for us. We somehow came up with that. But God... Is not that way. It's not God's way. It's not God's will and purpose for us to, to, to walk around with turmoil, to walk around hurting, to walk around with disappointment and frustration. It's not God's will for that to happen in our life. But somehow we have embraced it and kind of somehow walk around and feel like, you know, this is just the way we need to be. Nobody wants to hear my problems anyway, so why would I walk around and tell it to anybody? Well, we'll get to that. We're going to work with that and find out what God is asking of us with the turmoil that's inside, the frustration, the hurt, the disappointment that's inside of us. What is God asking us to do with that? Is he, does he want us to just keep walking around with it, or is there a solution for all of what's in us? We do. We project as though things are all well. One of the things that we must be careful of is the reason why we are, we have some reasons that I'm going to share with you that we walk around that way could be because we are afraid of what others might say or think if we ever say what's going on on the inside of us. That's one of the reasons. We're worried about what others may say or think. The other reason is we are afraid of being judged harshly. If I say something, they're going to judge me harshly. Now, that's an important one because what has been a bother to me recently is that there's not a lot of people, Christians, when I say people, I'm dealing with Christians. 
there's not a lot of people, unfortunately, that we can go to and share things with and they just deal with what we share with them according to what's best for us. And so a lot of times people are not comfortable sharing what they have going on on the inside because they're worried about you're going to do something I don't trust you with it. You, you, you could do something malicious to me. You, you can make me feel worse. You can do things to me. And, 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 and sometimes it's even at the point where, you know what? You're not going to have my best interest at hand. Unfortunately, sometimes we're, you know, we like to have what we like to call one up. And so I share something with you and now you know what you do? I've got one up on you now because I've never done that. And so sometimes that's how we look at it. So people are worried about sharing what's wrong on the inside. They, they don't want to share the turmoil and the frustration and the hurt and, and the disappointment. And so they're afraid of sharing anything. We're afraid of being judged harshly or even being judged at all. We may like how things are sometimes. What happens sometimes, we, 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 we become complacent. We say, well, this is just the way it is. And we hold on to the way it is and become used to that way. And now it's just a way of life. And so we go around with our hurt as a way of life. We go around with our frustration as a way of life. We go around with our disappointment as just a way of life. Again, that's not what God intended for us. But we do it anyhow. It may be that we can't handle criticism. That's probably a big one. The hurt, the disappointment, the frustration, uh, you know, all of the things that we're going through, we don't want to say anything about it because if somebody has to deal with us unbiasedly, they're going to say some things that might hurt us and we don't like to be criticized. But somebody say, I don't mind being criticized if I know they're doing it out of love. I don't mind. If I know you have my best interest at hand and you have to criticize me, I'm okay with it. But if you're criticizing me just so you can be up a, a higher level than me or so you can get one up on me or so you can seem like you're better than me, oh, I don't want that. I don't like that kind of criticism. Now, is that right? No, probably no. It's probably not right because criticism that are true, we're supposed to just accept it. But that's not God's will to for us to harshly deal with people if we have to give them what we like to call constructive criticism. None of us are perfect. All of us are on a journey. And sometimes we make mistakes along the way. Sometimes we do some wrong things. We like to call them mistakes. The Bible calls it sin. It's okay. Be comfortable with that. Start getting comfortable with hard things. Once you get comfortable with hard things, it makes life so much more easier living for God. You know, I learn in a good part of my walk, probably half the journey in my walk in Christ. I learned we all have sinned. Now, we quote that. We quote that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We quote that. But somehow we don't live that. What do I mean by that? Because when you make a mistake or when you sin, you act like, oh, my goodness, I just got to do everything I can to protect myself from this because I don't want anybody knowing. Why? Why don't want anybody knowing? Why is it so important that nobody knows? Why is it so important that nobody finds out? That's just that question. I'm like that, too. But what I started finding out was, well, Wayne, they got some stuff, too. And you become the better person when you're OK with talking about what you did wrong. And if they want to hold on to their doing wrong, you're better off than them, because it's only by confessing your sins can they ever be forgiven. If you want to hold on to your sins, it can never be forgiven. You quiet on me? Yes, sir. Yeah, but all of it happens in, 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 in layers, you know. Um, sometimes 
you probably have to confess it, get to the place of confessing. Sometimes it goes, either one can come first, repentance or confession. Um, but obviously repentance have to take place. So sometimes you can find yourself just don't want to say anything about it. If you don't want to say anything about it, sometimes it's hard to really truly repent of it. When you're, when you're uncomfortable saying anything about it. Cause you know what that means? You haven't gone before God and really pour out your heart like you, like David did. But when you get to a place where you can confess it, then now you know, okay, I've confronted it. Now let me go before the Lord and just pour out my heart. So depending on your makeup, confession may come first and repentance second, or maybe repentance first and confession second. But it's important to understand that when, 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 when you do wrong, you have to do those things. And everybody is going to come to the place where they have to talk about what they've done wrong. And they have to confess what they've done wrong. And so here is what happened with the story we talking about with King David. Some of you know about it, but I'm going to go into some details about it. So here's how the story goes. King David slipped up. Or you want to say the real stuff, which is he sinned. Remember who I'm talking about. King David. Not any of us in this room. King David. And so the story of this man, this king, slipping up is really unbelievable. But I want you to understand, it's not the central focus. I don't want you to focus on what David did in this story. That's not what I want you to focus about. I want you to focus tonight on the love of God. I want you to focus tonight on how much God cares about us and that where God finds us, he will never leave us there because he cares too much to leave us in a bad state. If we're in a bad state, it's because we want to be there because God's intention is never to leave you in a bad state. And that's why it's not of God to walk around in a bad state. So when you're in a bad state, you have to ask yourself, why am I in a bad state? Because God don't want you in that bad state. God don't want you walking around that way. It's because you have decided to take on that state and just walk in it. This whole story about King David is about how much God loves us. And how God would leave David broken and dirty in a messed up situation. It, it, it is how God seeks after us to reach after us when we mess up. And so that's what I want you to focus on as we go through the story. So the story began on a rooftop. King David. Can I say this first? There's so much to say about this. I'm not going to keep you long, but I, I want to get some things out. The first thing I want you to remember, King David was on his rooftop just walking about. And just meditating. Is there anything wrong with walking around on the rooftop and meditating? No. But King David looked and saw Bathsheba taking a bath. And King David's interest was piqued. At that point, King David had an opportunity to say, Ooh, not good. Let me go back in my quarters and come off the roof and just try to get it out of my mind. But King David didn't do that. King David's interest peaked so much that he sent one of his servants over. I need to inquire about that girl. Who is she? And he started getting information about her. And then he told his servant, why don't you invite her over to my king's chamber? And he invited her over and she's the king. So he's the king. So she didn't turn him down. So we, we, we see something innocent started to bring him in trouble. Now, the first thing I will say is, why was he on the rooftop? Anybody know? He was on a rooftop just chilling, but here was the big problem. His men was out at war and he was supposed to be with them, but he decided that day I'm not going. How does that relate to your life right now? Oh, I think I'll skip Bible study today. I think I'll skip church today. I think I'll skip prayer meeting today. 
That's how that relate to us. It's it, it doesn't seem like anything is wrong with saying, ah, you know, I'm busy. I'm going to skip prayer meeting. Oh, I'm, 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 uh, doesn't seem like anything is wrong. But how life work is because there's a real devil, how life work is when you skip what you're supposed to be doing for God, the devil will try to take advantage of you. See, you can't trust him. It's, ne- it's never about, you know, you start out wanting to do the right thing, but he doesn't allow you to do the right thing. And so when you decide, I'm just going to skip today because I can do so-and-so, you know, we're always busy. I can take this time to do so-and-so. And the devil smiles. Ooh. And now he's starting to set his trap. That's what happened to David. I just, I've been fighting wars. I'm a warrior. Don't I deserve a day off just to chill? Yes, you do, David. But here's what happened to him. Find this woman, see this woman taking a bath. If he was in the field, he would have never seen that woman taking a bath. He would never had that situation that he had to deal with. And so we have to be careful in making a choice to do what we want instead of doing the things of God. Again, I'm not telling you that you're sinning if you skip Bible study. I'm not telling you you're sinning if you're skipping prayer meeting. I'm not telling you you're sinning if you skip church. What I'm telling you is the devil will try to take advantage of you when he knows you could have been doing something for God and you decide you're going to make some, do something else. The devil will try to take advantage of you for doing that. That's just what he does. He's low down and dirty. <laughs> he is. He doesn't care about you. And so he's walking about. He got the lady to come over his house. And so when she came over his house, obviously, he didn't have her to come over there to play Monopoly. They did their thing. And she went back to her house. Then he got a note. And the note says, King, I'm pregnant. King, like, oh, snap. Didn't even think about that. And so, and so here she is now. She's pregnant. And so, right then and there, the king could have dealt with things. Yeah, he would have been found out, but he should have dealt with things the right way and come clean. He didn't come clean. What he started thinking about is, I'm the king, and if this happened, what are people going to think? So he tried to figure out a way to clean it up. Can I tell you that about sin? When you sin one time... It draws you to sin a second time and a third time and a fourth time because you're trying to spend all your time covering up your sin. When all you got to do is just go to God and come clean. So David, trying to cover up his sin, decided to call her husband off the field because her husband was a warrior soldier under David. David said, call Uriah. Uriah came. David tried to get Uriah to go home and go sleep with his wife. People have been blaming other people's kids on people for a long time. Because remember, she's pregnant. Why was David sending for her husband to come off the field to go home and sleep with her? So he can think that's his child. People have been doing that since Bible days. Blaming children on other people. So David tried to blame the child on the husband. But the husband was so loyal to his men that he wouldn't go home to his wife. So now David got angry trying to cover up this this stuff that i did wrong and now he won't go home so david said ah i know how to solve the problem we'll just get him to just get the men to kill him and if he's dead then everything is fine and so that's what happened david ordered for his men to put him at the front of the battle and draw back and when they drew back he was out there by himself boom he died so david felt like his problem was resolved Nobody can know now. That's how we do. David felt like, I'm all good. Don't have to worry about that anymore. But that wasn't the end of the story, as you know, because God don't play games. God is watching everything. God is watching everything. And so now, for a whole, almost a whole year, David living with this sin Nobody really knows. Belly getting big. All of these things are happening. 
And so finally the Lord sends Samuel the prophet. I'm sorry, Nathan the prophet. The Lord sent Nathan to go talk to David. And so Nathan the prophet came for a visit. And while visiting with the king, the prophet shared a story. He said, there were two men in the city, one rich, one poor. The rich man had flocks and herds, but the poor man, nothing except for one lamb. The lamb grew up together with the poor man's children, ate of his meat, drank from his own cup, and was like his own child. A traveler came to the rich man desiring food. The rich man speared his own flock and decided to take and kill the lamb of the poor man's flock. Now, I don't have time to explain that story for you, but... Let's go to the heart of the matter. When the king heard the story, when King David heard Nathan tell the story, the prophet, after Nathan shared with him, David became angry. And David said, David said, King David said, the man who did this thing deserves to die. Because remember back then, adultery, they stone you and kill you. So the king was saying the right thing. This man's supposed to die. And the prophet looked at David in the eye and said, thou art that man. Now, this is powerful. One of the things I want you to draw from that story. Here's what's missing in some of our lives as Christians. For so long, different generations call for different kind of behavior and the generation before me was a generation that just lived in almost blind obedience whatever you say man of God will follow and so there was my generation the generation before me they just followed the man of God that led and just said whatever you say unfortunately some of those men of God kind of put themselves in the place of God because people were so obedient. None of us are supposed to ever take the place of God trying to have power in people's life. People have to make their own decision. I was just talking to Brother Tom this evening. I says, I've learned some things. And no matter how much I minister to the church and I don't see people grabbing a hold of this and doing it, I will not fall into the trap of trying to manipulate people or trying to make people do things. I will not fall into that trap. The Bible says some water and some plant, but only God gives the increase. You know what that means? The preacher, the pastor responsibility is to love you, feed you the word of God, and try to protect you from danger and harm. But your growth, your spiritual growth, your maturity, your obedience is to God. And you're responsible for your own growth. So a pastor cannot get offended when people are not growing or people are not being obedient to the word of God. He can't allow that to affect them because it's that's between that person and God. That's not between the pastor and that person. I can't get so frustrated. I'm like, oh, I'm going to come up with something to try to make you obey God. I can't do that. It's up to you and God. But I've seen it and I've heard it. And so... People nowadays, some may have been hurt, some may have heard the stories, some, all different kind of things has transpired in their life. So now people are going to church and kind of more free now. Nobody tell me what to do. But they don't realize where that came from. It came from the generation before me was so obedient and submissive that they got taken advantage of. That's a good word to say. They got taken advantage of in their obedience. And so they found themselves hurt and frustrated and a lot of different things. And so now they're saying, I'm going to live my life for God and nobody can tell me what to do. Nathan. All of us need a Nathan in our life. That's where I'm going with this. All of us must have a spiritual person in our life that can say, you're wrong. And you say, okay, I'm wrong. That's what's missing from relationships between pastor and saints. Pastor's not supposed to control your life. He's supposed to be able to tell you what thus saith the Lord. And you can say, you're right. 
when, when Nathan went to David and told him that, anybody know how David responded? That's the prayer we read in Psalms 51. That's how that prayer came to pass. David wrote that prayer. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. David didn't get an attitude. You want me to show you the difference? When King Saul, when King Saul was given a commandment by God's man to say, go and do blah, blah, blah. King Saul went and only did some of the job, but not all the job. When, 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 when Samuel came to him and says, brother, the king is still living and there's still sheep that's still living. I, I thought the Lord told me to tell you to kill everything. You know what he says? Well, the people wanted for us to have some sheep so we can have sacrifice unto the Lord. See that good excuse? I didn't kill them all because if we keep some of them, we can have sacrifice. And that's what we do now. We have a good excuse to tell the Lord. But God, that's where the scripture come in, right below those things. That's where the scripture came in and says, obedience is better than sacrifice. So you can be this person that's, you know, oh, you know, I stayed up all night and pray. I prayed all night long. That's great. But if God told you something to do and you didn't do it, God don't care about your all night prayer. Oh, I was in the community doing outreach. But God told you something and you don't do it. God don't care nothing about your outreach. Saul, Samuel told Saul, all God care about is your obedience. All of us, me included, Better have somebody that can point the finger and says, you're wrong and you need to repent and go in the right way. And you, all you say is, okay. And you go to God and pray and repent and you move forward. All of us. And what's killing many of us is we're going to church loosely. Casually. How we feel. What that does it, here's what, here, I, I, I like explaining things for people. When you go to church casually and loosely, what it does is it makes you not have no authority in your life. <laughs> no spiritual authority, that is. So when you do whatever you want, live, oh, I think I slide in today, oh. Okay, uh, maybe not Sunday. What you're doing is I'm living my life the way I want, which means nobody has any authority in my life. I do what I want. I'm telling you, we don't get far like that. Sooner or later, that's going to catch, catch up to you. If you live your spiritual life with no authority in it, sooner or later, it will catch up. I've seen great men that had no spiritual authority. It caught up to them. And so I've already made it my business. I get a, I got a few spiritual authorities in my life. A few. One not even good enough for me. Give me about three. That they can call me up and say, yo, what is, what's this I heard? Or I've been praying and the Lord told me blah, blah, blah. And all I can do is put my tail between my legs and says, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, you need to repent about that. As a matter of fact, you need to let somebody else preach next Sunday because you, you need to get your mind right. Yes, sir. <laughs> I've got that in my life. You can do whatever you want. I've got that in my life. That somebody can call me right now and says, take a couple weeks off. Let somebody else preach. You need some recovery time. Because I really, really respect the word of God, the ministry of God, and I want to be on the right track. I don't want to live this life as a Christian for a long time. And because I had no spiritual authority in my life, I made mistakes and nobody told me anything. And then I find myself in bad situation or not even make heaven because I didn't allow anybody to tell me I'm wrong. I didn't allow anybody to say, well, you, you need to do this instead of what you're doing. Don't want that. And so David went down on his face and prayed. That fourfold thing that David says, that man should be restored fourfold. 
He was supposed to die. David was supposed to die for the sin that he committed. That was death. God says, I love you. I'm not going to kill you. But all of our sins, we got to pay for. Four lives was lost in David's family for that sin. The baby that he um, um, Bathsheba got pregnant, that baby died. His son Amnon was murdered by his other son Absalom. Absalom came after him and he was murdered by David's men. And Adonijah, when Solomon was anointed to be king, Adonijah got sore down because um, if, if, if Solomon, Adonijah was the oldest son and he was supposed to get the throne. But that's not what David did. David gave the, the, the throne to Solomon because that's what God said. And so Adonijah, that was it. His life was gone too because there was never going to be a problem there. So they, 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 they killed him. So David lost four boys. Four child. Well, grown men, some of them, because of his sin. So when we mess up, oh, we're going to pay. Nobody gets all free. Nobody, nobody. King David, nobody. When we sin, we're going to pay somewhere along the line. We can't get around it. God is no respect of person. Everybody pays for their wrong. But God loves you anyhow. He just can't be, you know, respect of person. So we're going to pay. This is why you hear me say all the time, don't beat people in the head about their wrong. Because they're paying. The first thing about David that we don't really realize, he had to deal with that guilt and shame and stuff within himself for almost a year. It was all, it was a year before Nathan came to him and says, so stuff was a mess for David. But I believe that when Nathan came to him, that was almost like a relief because you have nothing, nobody to talk to, nobody to share. You know, you did wrong and you feel bad because you had a real good heart and you did bad and you had nobody to share with. So you was a mess. And so when the man of God came to him and talked to him, he was probably just so relieved to know, all right, I can repent. I can get my life now on track because the whole time, can I tell you this? Here's this again. Listen to me carefully. When you're living with sin in your heart, you have shut down God's voice in your life. When you're living with sin in your life, every day you get up and there's a certain kind of sin that's going on. If you're doing that, you're shutting down the voice of God in your life. You're cutting off God's voice in your life. It's not until you repent. You want scripture for that? What is it? John 9, 31. For we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper and a doer of his will, him he hear it. So what that means is, as long as we're doing what we want, God says, I will not respond to you. But when you repent of your sins and you start doing what I tell you, you will hear from me. So when we're doing wrong, you know, people like to say, well, God still talks to me. No, God is not talking to you. You might know the right things, but God is not talking to you until you repent of your sins. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There you go. Good point. And remember, I told you, God don't want us to live in depression. He doesn't want us to live in turmoil and hurt and disappointment. He wants us to live in joy. And when we allow sin to just stay in our life, it means there's no joy. Yes? Hmm. Let me say this to you. The good news is this. And we don't realize this. When the man of God or the woman of God speak to you and you get convicted, you need to start worshiping God. Because it means God is speaking to you. If you're in your stuff and you're not hearing any voice from God, you better keep repenting until you hear a voice from God. But even when you're being told about your wrong, you need to thank God because it means that God has come to deliver you. Conviction is how God delivers us. 
If you don't get convicted of anything, you can't be delivered. Conviction is what God uses to deliver people. So when you do wrong and somebody speak to you, it brings conviction. And you now understand how wrong you've done. And now you're ready to get your heart right, your life right. But if you never get convicted, then you can never get your heart right. You can never get your life right with God. Conviction is a tool that God uses to restore us. Conviction is a tool that God uses to restore us. Conviction comes from God. Condemnation comes from your adversary, Satan. So when you are convicted, what God is doing is reaching for you. Come on, you can get out of that. Come on, get out of it. And he stretches his hand to get you out of what you're into. That's what conviction is. So when you get convicted in your life, it's just right that you thank God that he didn't leave you where you are. Because if conviction don't come, it means God is leaving you right where you are. And if where you are is not a good place, you're in trouble. So conviction is good. Condemnation is from your adversary, from Satan. And what condemnation says is, you are no good. You have no hope. Look at you. You're the worst. That's condemnation. Condemnation don't give you any hope. Condemnation doesn't give you an opportunity to get restored. Condemnation means, that's why you've heard me said this. If you want to know if I'm preaching right, always listen to what I'm saying if I only tell you one side. If I only tell you one side, you say, you're not preaching right. God makes us to understand both sides. What do I mean by that? If I'm telling you about your sin, and I don't tell you how to come out of your sin, I didn't come from God. And if I'm only telling you how to get right, but never tell you about your sin, oh God. It works both. So if you go to a church... And they're preaching how good God is and what God can do, but they don't tell you about sin, ain't the right place. But if you're in a church and all they're telling you about is you're no good and you're always sinning and you're wrong, no good either. You have to be in a place where they point out to you what the scripture teaches and that you sinned against God and you need to repent. And when you repent, God will restore you back to your normal place in him. That's what they need to tell you. And so God convicted David by using his prophet to come and speak the word. Conviction is a work of God and God uses it because he loves us. Conviction is out of love. Remember what I said about this story. It's not about David wrong more than it is about the love of God because David was supposed to be stoned to death for the sin he committed. And God says, no, I won't kill you. Condemnation points out our failures, our shortcomings, our mistakes, our sins, and says God does not love us. You go to a place and the preaching make you feel condemned. You go to a place and the preaching make you feel like you're worthless and you're nobody. Oh, that's no good. And if you go to a place and all they want to tell you is how great you are. Oh, that's no good either. Conviction does not deny we have sinned. So when God pricks you in conviction, it's not denying that you've done wrong. It just gives us hope to say, look, you've done wrong, but here is what God will do for you. Conviction tells us God does love us. It says God has forgiven us and God has not forgotten about us. And so conviction is a good thing. Somebody say conviction is a good thing. It is. How does conviction make you feel? Conviction should make you feel terrible, but it should make you feel terrible to want to do right. Right? That's why I said get comfortable with, 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 with things that are hard. If somebody has to come to you and tell you something really hard that you need to deal with, get comfortable with it. I think with God, we should become comfortable with a whole lot of things because we gotta know God has the last say so in 
all of our situations. And if God has the last say so in all of our situations, guess what? It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. So God used conviction in order to restore us. And so his love, God's love is greater than our sins. Somebody say that God's love is greater than our sins. It is. And so remember what I told you, though. Remember what I told you. Your sin only destroy you. It doesn't do anything to God. That's probably the best thing I've learned in pastoring while why I will not try to do anything to make anybody do anything. Because however you decide to live, it only affects you. It don't affect me. However you decide to live your spiritual life, it don't affect me. Now, it does in some respect because my heart is broken when I see people just not measuring up to what God has called them to and they can. You know, it's one thing when people are striving to reach that place where God is bringing them to. It's another thing when they're just like, whatever, I'm not even trying. God is good. God is love. He's going to save me no matter what. That's kind of how a lot of people think about church now. God is love. God is good. You know, he knows my heart and I'll be fine. That That's kind of how we think a lot of times. And God is telling you, yes, I do love you. Yes, I do know your heart. But obedience is better than sacrifice. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Well, I always say God. The Bible says God is love, right? And so um, you can take it a lot of different ways. I start with God, though. God is love. And when God is in it and God brings you out of situation, you know, it stops you from sinning. And so for us, if we follow the same reconciliation process, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So if we love people enough and we see them in a bad situation and we reach for them in love and we can pull them out of their bad situation by leading them to Christ, then also our love for God and for that individual, for people, will also cover um, a multitude of sins. So you can look at it in, in a few different ways, but the bottom line is I always put God in. The Bible says God is love, so I go that way. God covers a multitude of sin. So conviction, we know, comes from God and is what saves us. And so our sin, God's love is, is, is greater than our sin. And so we got to be careful not to get so distressed that we allow sin to be bigger than God. We think that I've messed up so bad I can never get right. And, 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 and you don't want to tell yourself that and you don't need to tell anybody else that. You don't need to let anybody, you know, you know, I gotta tell you, this, this drives me a little crazy and that's just me. Maybe it's, you know, it's just me. But it's not good when we make people feel, we might not tell them, but we can make them feel bad about, um, um, what they've done. And that's not the will of God. To make somebody keep feeling bad about what they've done. It's not the will of God. God's will is that we become re- restored, completely restored, that we become completely reconciled unto him. That's why the scripture says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. So God uses conviction to call us back into right relationship with him. And if God is OK with you messing up and bringing you back into relationship with him, who are you? Think about that. If God is okay with calling a murderer, restoring or reconciling a murderer to him, why would you treat anybody else any less than what God is treating them? We do that, though. I just can't forgive for that, and that's just wrong. Okay, I know it's wrong, but all I know is if God is still okay with, and God is holy, because we're not holy. The Bible says our, our, our righteousness is, uh, so let me use righteous. Um, God, God is righteous. And if he can see fit to pull us back, no matter what we've done, what should we do? 
Right? And so we're not righteous and he's righteous. He says, this is our righteousness is filthy rags, but he's righteous. And we are not holy. It's only when he's on the inside of us that we can become holy and he's restoring people unto him. So why should we ever think somebody don't deserve to be restored, don't deserve to be reconciled back unto God? Why would we ever think that when that's not God's perspective? Remember, David committed murder and adultery. That's what he did. And the Bible says, God says, David is a man after his own heart. Now go, 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 go work that through your nice intellectually smart self now. Go take that one to the, to, to, to the, to, to, to the highest of educational institution and try to process that. For what David did, and God says, he's a man after my own heart. Go reconcile that. I bet you can't. That's why we can't do it. Let me finish with this story. Tim Snyder in the book All Things New shared the following. Waybush, a town in a remote, remote portion of Labrador, Canada, was completely isolated for some time. But recently a road was cut through the wilderness to reach it. Waybush now has one road leading into it, thus only one road leading out of it. If someone would travel the unpaved road for six to eight hours to get into Waybush, there is only one way out from going into Waybush. And so that story is given to us for this purpose. Sin is like Waybush. It's a place that you can get down there, but it's only one road that takes you down there. And in order to get out of sin, there's only one way to get out of it, and that is to turn around from where you were and come back that same road, but go the opposite direction. And so if we're going to come out of our situations where it's bad for us, that sinful state, way bush, we need to turn back around. And come down that one way road. And it might not be overnight. Because a lot of times you repent of your sins. And you ask God to forgive you. But man you're going to have to wrestle with it in your mind. Continuously. And so it's important to understand. Repentance is turning around. The things that you used to do. That you did. You turn around and go back the other way. Turn it around. Stop practicing what you've been practicing. Stop living how you've been living. That's real repentance. People thought repentance mean, oh, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Those are words. That's why getting saved, saying, oh, Lord, I confess that you are my Lord and Savior, don't get you saved. Words don't get you saved. It start with words, but you have to put some action behind it. And in order to repent, it's not just saying, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. You say that, but your action needs to say, and I'm no longer doing that. One way out of sin, and that's to turn around and go the opposite way. David messed up big time. But what we need to pay attention to is the goodness of God. David was supposed to be stoned to death. But the goodness of God says, I won't kill you, David. I'll keep you. Yeah, you're going to have to pay pay the price. But I'm still going to keep you. And that's how we got to look at God, of how good he is to us. Any questions? Unmasking sin. The unmasking of sin. We're done with our sin series because sin series make everybody uncomfortable. You know, next week when you come back, we won't be talking about sin. We'll talk about something more, more um, upbeat because sin makes us uncomfortable. But it's like I said, though, if I don't talk about it, this is not the place for you. You don't want to go to no church and they never talk about your sin because God is the one in charge and God is talking about our sin. Repent, turn around. When Jesus came and he started preaching, first thing he preached about was repent. Right? 
And so if we're going to get saved, we have to repent. We can't just um, hear all good stuff. Any questions? Anybody have any questions about anything? Any comment about anything? Yes, no? Um, I remember when me and my wife first got married, they used to call her Sister Wayne. Might have to call your wife Sister Chuby. <laughs> That's why I said it. You know, you know, I can't say your last name on, unless you guys are going to teach me how to say your last name real good. She's Sister Chuby until you teach me how to say the last name real good. <laughs> okay. So call her Sister Joy. Don't call her Sister Chuby. <laughs> oh, all right. I'll, I'll call her Sister Joy. I won't call her Sister Chuby. Since, since you I'll make sure you don't get in trouble, he got to make sure he don't get in trouble. Get in the car, she'll poke him. Why didn't you tell him my name was Joy? You're a smart man. Don't forget. Um, come next Thursday. Well, come Sunday. Uh, I, I usually don't have to tell you to come Sunday though, because you normally.